everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Timothy P. Miller. Welcome to all of you guys who are normal Charlie Bulwark podcast listeners. Uh, this is a show we do just for members of Bulwark Plus every week, but uh, we are filling your Christmas stocking with it this week while Charlie is out and away. Sarah and Tim, how are you guys? Hi, JVL. I would like to say the all the people who might be listening uh, who are used to hearing Charlie, don't turn this off. Uh, this is this is a great podcast, and I know you love Charlie, but uh, we're going to have fun. We have fun every week. Uh, they knew that I was on here. Why would they be turning it off, Sarah? I mean, they knew that I, I'm just going to be firing, you know, hot takes into their eardrums, giving them an E-explicit rating. Why, why would you have even put that thought in their mind? <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes when people are like, hey, I listen to this guy every day, and he's not here right now, and so, you know, moving on. I just think that they should give us, I think they should give us a chance. We have a relationship, me and Charlie's listeners, and I'll be back tomorrow subbing in for Charlie. So, you know, people can just kind of settle in for a little extra shot of homosexuality this week. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Awesome. Speaking of homosexuality, Liz Cheney's in the news again. (laughs) (laughs) It's the other one. It's the other Cheney. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, So I... Look, the big news this week is that Liz Cheney, during the Mark Meadows contempt vote over with the January 6th committee, went and read out some text messages that the president's chief of staff received while the insurrection was ongoing on the afternoon of January 6th. And they were amazing. And I it's one of these things where I feel as though they were amazing and we had perhaps two hours worth of people having their minds blown. And by now, today, Wednesday, barely 48 hours later, uh, everyone has just assimilated this and moved on and been like, yeah, well, this is just another thing that happens. Uh, As if it was not another signpost on the way to the fall of the democratic order. I have so many thoughts on this text messaging situation. Sarah, go. Okay, so first of all, I, I... I want to talk about the response to this from the conservative smart set. So the texts come out, and the texts are a bunch of Fox News personalities, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, Brian Kilmeade, and they're all saying things like, Laura Ingram's are actually my favorite because hers was, this is making us all look bad. And right, we've just gone through the Chris Cuomo situation where people demanded his head for being too chummy with an elected official who was his brother. Uh, And fair enough. Chris Cuomo had to go. He went. This is a whole bunch of Fox News personalities who clearly just have Mark Meadows on speed dial telling him, you got to get the president to tell these people to stand down. It's making us look bad because we are part of the same team. We're not journalists. We're part of the White House comm strategy. You know, so then the smart conservative set has basically come out and said, well, what do you mean? Why is this bad? Look at them. They're saying that the insurrection is not good and that they people should go home. They, they were really trying to help. standing up for America. They Sarah. were trying to help. They're great American heroes, I'm sure. The problem is, is that they went on TV that night, the next day, and for the entire 10 months following, saying this was Antifa false flag, saying that it was no big deal, doing whataboutism about, you know, Black Lives Matter, uh, asking, blaming it on Nancy Pelosi. But the text shows something very specific, which is that they knew how bad it was and they knew that Trump was the only one who could call them off because this was his 
people. It's just like when we found out that Donald Trump knew in the early days of COVID that it was really bad. And he told Bob Woodward, hey, this is going to be really bad. It's really serious. At the same time, he was telling the American people, it's not worse than the flu. Go to work. It's not a big deal. These people say the truth in private and they lie knowingly, purposefully to their viewers in public. And the idea that that the, the Ben Shapiros and the Ari Fleischers would say, well, this doesn't show some grand conspiracy. This shows that they were trying to help. Misses the point entirely, willfully, willfully so. That's my, Boy, that's I my starting to, I, rant. I, I have to disagree with you, Sarah. I just, I think that, you know, as JVL recommended that Joe Biden consider pardoning the QAnon shaman, I think he should consider bringing uh, Laura and Sean in for some kind of Medal of Freedom type ceremony. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, thank God that we have protectors of the democratic order like Laura Ingram, who are willing to step aside for a moment, you know, take off their journalism hat and speak to the president as a friend, well, to the president's chief of staff, as a friend and a peer, and let them know that they care more about the country and the image of their party uh, than, you know, they do about their journalistic responsibilities and that this is a time uh, you know that that they need to stand in. I, that is the that's the that's the Ben Shapiro. It's not just the Ben Shapiro and Ari Fleischer uh, position. It's the, it's it's many of the people on the editors podcast over at National Review. It's most of the you know Republican candidates position. Is this there's nothing nothing to see here. They were just trying to help out in a tough situation. And I don't see uh, I, I don't understand what you what what your uh, what your problem could possibly be with that. I mean the the problem with this is that which is it. <laughs> because if if the, what they were saying was true, if they were concerned citizens speaking out, trying to help, well, Donald Trump didn't take their advice. And so that means he did something bad. And presumably they would have to criticize him in public for it. And so they have to pick, right? I mean, either Donald Trump was doing something bad in, and they were the heroes. Or if, if everything was fine and Donald Trump didn't do anything fine, then they're propagandists who were saying one thing in private and another in public. And I mean, of course, this is a false choice because nobody ever is ever going to make they were, them. They were hysterical. They just let, they just let their emotions get in the way, Jonathan. They were hysterical in the moment. Donald Trump showed his steely resolve. This you is know, why he, understood he it wasn't is that president and they're not. Yeah. Because he's, he's able to rule with strength. He's able to put down the, that electoral college with with real strength. I don't know, Sarah. These fucking he's, assholes. Just, I just want to say, this is the whole. This is this has been the entire move ever since January sixth. It was as clear as day on the night of January sixth that this is what they were all going to do. There was this kind of liminal moment where everyone just emoted, right? And it was an emotional moment. And this is really the truth of what happened. You see the Capitol getting sieged. You don't exactly know what is happening. You hear reports of people dying, right? And and believe it or not, you know, somewhere deep in her little Grinchian heart, like Laura Ingram, like has just a little bit of beating blood in there somewhere. And and it was beating. And she was also looking out for the self-interest of her party and her cause, but but she was emoting. So was Sean, so was Kilmeade, so was Lindsey Graham, so was all of these assholes. And, and, you know, for some of them, it took an hour. For some of them, it took a week. For some of them, like Mitch McConnell, you know, they, they played footsie with caring about their feelings for about three weeks. They all acted 
as any anybody who is not you know completely uh, 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 you know has not been just completely lost into the Trumpian Kool Aid would react. This is horrible. This is un-American. Uh, this needs to stop. You know, th- this is not who we are. That 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 is how anyone with any le- amount of humanity left reacted. The so problem was once they realized. Yeah. What? Go ahead. Now, go ahead. I'm going to disagree, but I okay, want you to please. finish. The problem is they realized that that wasn't possible, right? Like that that, that wasn't sustainable because that that they had lost control of not only the people that were storming that building, but all of the Trump supporters out there, all of the people that had been watching their shows, all of the people that had been voting for them. They those folks were in charge now and they needed to tell those folks a story that maintained Donald Trump as strong leader, that maintained them as the righteous ones and Antifa and Black Lives Matter as the black hats. And they retconned their, you know, whatever explanation they needed from that end end point. And Laura did it by the time she went on TV that night. Lindsey Graham did it the day after he got shouted down at an airport. You know, Mitch McConnell did it when he realized he didn't have the votes for impeachment. And now they're all singing from the same hymn book. So it is possible that the the moment of, oh, gosh, this is so terrible. You have to do something was based on emotion. Uh, It's also possible that it was based on a belief that this would hurt the Republican Party and that, that this would finally be a bridge too far for voters And this is another case where Donald Trump knew his voters much better than anybody else around him. He knew it during Grab Them by the Pussy. He knew it during the first impeachment. And he knew it here, that this was not going to hurt him with Republicans, that Republicans were going to be fine with this. And then in a week, Republicans would go from being like, oh, gosh, it's kind of bad to, uh, well, no, it wasn't real. It was false flag to you're damn right they did it because they're great patriots and we need more of it. And he was right and they were wrong. And it's, you know, the, the Republican elites, the people in conservatism, Inc., they have been wrong about their voters every minute of every day since Donald Trump showed up on the scene. I guess just really quick and then starting it off, and I, I don't know that those two things are mutually exclusive, right? I mean, you can have an emotional reaction that says this is bad and and then, oh, shit, this is bad for us, right? Like those things kind of go hand in hand, right? Like if, I guess my point is if Laura – and kill Mead and these assholes look at what's happening and they say, God, I, I think th- I even I think this is bad. <laughs> right? Then they assume that that means that the people that are watching them all are having that same reaction that they are. And that informs their strategic choice. We have to do something about this to help the president. Right. So I, I agree with you on the. Um, uh, on 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 the fact that Trump knew the voters better than they did. But I, I think on what was the impetus for their reaction. I, I think it was related to just that, you know, visceral feeling that they had that that day. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, one of the things that I'm hung up on is we were all we grew all grew up as young conservatives, and one of the things that we were steeped in was the liberal bias in the media. And and if you knew a lot about conservative policy, or it, you were engaged in those debates, and you'd listen to a story on NPR about something, you would sit there and be like, "Well, that's not right." That's not the correct way to frame that issue or whatever. And so I I was certainly – the bias in the media was something that I focused on. And somehow, though, Fox News, the entire primetime lineup is texting the chief of staff using the phrase us. Like one of the things that – I tweeted this, but like 
Fox News is going to have no trouble at all weathering this particular scandal for (laughs) any other news station. It would be catastrophic because the expectations of them, the reason Chris Cuomo gets fired is the expectations is that they have an obligation and there is an entire media ecosystem and entire people have built their careers in conservative media banging on about left-wing bias in our media. And it's not that there's not some truth to that. It's that the the response of Fox News is so wildly disproportionate to the point where what they do is not news at all. It is constructions of alternate realities. And what the texts show is that they knew in that moment how bad it was in like six hours. It's just like the vaccines. They all are vaccinated. They're all taking the pandemic seriously, but they go out and they tell their audiences that, I don't know, these vaccines could be really dangerous. I don't know. Look at this. They all wear masks. You should look at, you see clips of the Fox News newsroom and everybody's wearing masks, right? Because they're protecting themselves, but they're happy, happy to scare their viewers and give them bad information. And it's the same way on January 6th. And so nobody says, boy, I'm so shocked. The Fox News primetime lineup was doing this. Everybody's like, of course they were. And they escape accountability because of that, because we don't expect anything better of them. Consider the counterfactual that Lester Holt is tweeting President Biden right now and saying, Mr. Biden, you know, this inflation stuff, this is hurting us. This is hurting our side. You got to do something about this right now. I, I, I mean, obviously, it would be catastrophic. Lester Holt would be out on his ass the next day. But Fox, Fox has been... The notion that they were unbiased has been a troll from the start. I mean, the whole fair and balanced tagline, some of the viewers, some some of the rubes might have taken it seriously, but a lot of the viewers knew it was a joke, right? It was a troll of the other side. It was saying, you guys are, the other side isn't balanced either, so we're just going to do this, ha-ha, fair and balanced news. So so their audience has been conditioned for this, right? So there is no... There would be no reason for anybody in the audience to be upset that what they would expect would be for the the hosts would be texting with the president and the chief of staff giving them advice. So, I, I look, I, I think that that is the key difference here. It was something I disagreed with in JVL of your newsletter yesterday. You were like, real journalists, like, they're, we're not having lunch with the people that we cover and giving them advice. And, like... That's where I think people get lost in all this. Like there is a gray area, right? I don't think Mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with, you know, any administration, you know, having relationships with certain reporters and like meeting and talking to them, having off the record conversations, trying to bounce things off them. People need to get outside their bubble. Like maybe, you know, the journalists, some sort of feedback that people are getting from the road, they can say, hey, is there something that can inform what we're doing here that can help us be more responsive? Having relationships isn't the problem. The the problem is when you cross this these lines that we set for as far as journalistic ethics are concerned from having those relationships, you know, in order to try to inform how you're governing and how you're responding to the media to turning that into the reporter actually becomes the strategic advisor. The reporter becomes the communications consultant. But there's a real counterfactual to this, right? So Jake Sherman also texted Mark Meadows, right? And he said, you got to do something. Right. I can't remember exactly what his text was, but it was we're scared to do something. He had the chief of staff's phone number, probably because he's a source. Right. So all of the 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 idea that they would just have the number 
and would reach out in a catastrophic situation and say, you've got to help us, like it's really bad in here. That's not the part that's bad. And this is the this is why you get the Ben Shapiros and the Ari Fleischer saying, see, they were just trying to tamp down the situation. Isn't that good? The thing is, is that Jake Sherman didn't go on for 10 months to obfuscate what about and lie about January 6th, at least not to my knowledge. Uh, and and he also didn't say, this is making us look bad, right? Yeah. Like the stuff from, from Laura and from the Fox guys is about – our team's going to get hurt by this and is a is a we're on the same boat. Jake Sherman is like, I got your number and things are going haywire. And like, I bet I bet Jake Sherman's not the only person. I didn't love I didn't love that Jake didn't share those texts. I, I got to tell you, I saw that Jake Sherman thing yesterday and I thought to myself, this is a real serious breach. I, I thought it was bad that he didn't tell people earlier. Right. Should have uh, been the next morning. Yeah, like the, the, that, the that thing they, he should have written the next morning. Like if you're if you're going to say, look, from I was in the a Capitol, burning we building. Yeah. We were. If you that that's fine. I still think it's special pleading. It's asking for favors. That is asking the chief of staff to do a favor for you. And I don't like it. I think it's bad. I don't like any of this. And all these. And look, this is me railing against wait, against two hundred years of American journalism. Wait a minute. They were they were inside. They were trying to communicate how bad the situation. So this is the difference. Like the. Laura and those guys were presumably watching it on TV, right? Jake Sherman was in the Capitol being attacked. And so I don't know about special pleading so much as telling people who were outside how bad it was getting inside and that they had to do something about it. Yeah, I agree with Sarah. I don't. I don't think it was special pleading. I, I you know, the people again, people are humans. Like, like I'm not. You know, the doors are getting barged down, and nothing <laughs> is happening. You're like, what the fuck, White House? Like, what in the fuck? I got look. I, you know, no, I, 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 I don't I, like I, it. I, I think that's totally a reasonable thing to send. The problem is, is they didn't do anything. You didn't respond. They didn't respond for five hours. So, so then it's your obligation to say, hey, by the way, in case there was any doubt, uh, that the highest levels of yeah. the White House, they knew how bad it was. I know that because I was texting them, and they didn't do anything for four hours. And and I, and I, I, you know, I haven't watched all the tapes of Jake on MSNBC. I'm sure he kind of implied that at various points, but but I, that should have been in, in the in the punch bowl the next morning. And I, that that makes me uncomfortable. I told you all, all of this stuff. Anytime you see uh, some journalist sitting down a glad handing with a politician they nominally cover, I always think it's bad. I've never liked any of this stuff. I've never liked the idea of like going out to drinks unless you're treating them as a source and using them as a source. The idea that it is a social call with politics, but but again, this is and I don't That's like how you it. Build relationships. So this is now. Now we're getting into this Twitter zone of people who are like Maggie Haberman and these are access journalists. And it's like, well. That's you know part of that I is understand. the price of doing business, and it's not it's not always pretty. But I you know you have to be able to get information. You have to build relationships to get to build trust to get information. So anyway, I, but, you know, but this is so. Here's my my question to you guys. So we have these asymmetrical standards, which almost feels like an understatement of a word at this point. Asymmetrical, it's like non-standards. The glass half full version of this would be yes. But the mainstream media's standards are ultimately a source of strength for it, and the conservative media's lack of standards are ultimately a weakness for it. Would you agree that that is true? Because I do not. No. No, it's the opposite. It's the reverse. So that can, will you will you unpack that a little bit, Sarah? Because I agree, but I'm not sure why I agree. Well, well, for the reasons I stated before, the idea that nobody is sitting around thinking that Fox is going – it's the 
what this, the phrase is soft bigotry of low expectations, but the bigotry is not the right word here. It's like uh, the no consequences of low expectations. Because when you just don't think, when everybody says, well, of course, that's how Fox was reacting, then it's, it's the same way with Republican politicians, right? The idea that we have stopped expecting them to do the right thing lets them off the hook for ever not doing the right thing. There's no accountability then. Right. There's only accountability when there are standards. And so this is how Fox News evades accountability. But I just want to make one other point, which is. Uh, can I just yeah. talk on this point, though? OK. Uh, yeah. Because, I, yeah, I, I just like I, I, I think that there's a little bit of mainstream media accountability for this. And I think that they found themselves in the sour spot. And I, because, you know, JVL, I, I do think that it would potentially be a strength for the mainstream media to have standards and for Fox to have no standards if the mainstream media was widely accepted to have, you know, to, to be credible, right? Like if 80% of the country thought that the mainstream media was credible and 20% thought that, you know, they were biased or whatever and they just trusted their fake news on Fox, uh, that would be a source of strength to the mainstream media. But that's not where we are. We're at 50-50, you know, maybe even lower. And so I, I, I think that over time, there has to be a little bit of accountability here for the fact that people in the mainstream media, there was a truth to what you were saying earlier, Sarah, about how there was some liberal bias in the mainstream media. There, there, yeah. it, it's a, it was a cultural bias. It was a friendliness with Democratic politicians in the way they didn't have with Republican politicians. There are also some other biases. There are you know, recency bias and corporate bias. And so it's not just a pure... Democratic Party bias, but there was a real liberal bias, and and they pretended that it wasn't there for the longest time, right? And, and and so I hear a lot from my Republican friends. They say, "Well, the mask came off during the Trump era, and in some ways, the mask needed to come off because, to, in order to be honest, you needed to speak truth about what Donald Trump was doing." But but because there was that lack of trust going into it, people thought, "Oh, you were just kind of pulling your punches the whole time before this, and this is what you really thought. You're hostile to us. You're hostile to our our party." I think there are elements of that that's fair. There are elements that are unfair. But the problem is now, when you look at the asymmetry, you have the one side on Fox that is openly partisan and doesn't give a rat's ass and has no accountability. And then you have the other side that is like, let's just be honest, kind of partisan. And maybe maybe they should be because of, you know, the other parties, an anti-democratic party. But then, you know, pretending like, you know, there's an inauthenticity. Like, you know, pretending like they're being fair. And so, you know, I don't exactly know how to fix that. But I, I think that, like, in, a, in some ways, the mainstream guys made their own bed by not being just a little bit more transparent about where they're coming from. Because the big criticism we're having of Fox right now is that they weren't being transparent, right? I, I think that there was an element of that, not nearly to the same degree in kind of the pre-Trump era mainstream media that, like, got them to this point. Am I sounding like Molly Hemingway now? No, I, no, I, I think, but but that's not the main criticism of the Fox. Danielle says yes. Well, okay, no, but but that's not the main criticism of the Fox guys. I mean, it's not my main criticism. The main criticism is not the clubby chumminess. The main criticism is that they knew how bad it was. They knew that Donald Trump was the instigator, and then they lied about it for the next ten months. They lied about it hours later, right. and they spun and they and they deceived to distract people from the thing that they knew to be true. What the texts prove is that they knew the opposite was true of what they went on and told yeah. their viewers. 
A little bit, but that's JBL a, that's okay. Like that's neither here nor there. Yeah, you so. wanted you wanted to go, Sarah. Go. I just wanted to make one last point on this, which is that I went. And I, I follow a lot of the uh, the the people on Twitter who are the media critic types, the ones who are always there to tell you how the mainstream media mm. is cocking so everything bad. up and how they're lying to you and all this stuff. The 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 but the media types. And I took a long spin through all my faves. Red Steez, did you go visit yeah, Red Steez? I sure did. Account? I sure did. I sure did. And you know what people were tweeting about? Either nothing. Either it had been hours and hours and hours since they tweeted uh, and they weren't they weren't going to say anything or I'm like, I'm gesticulating wildly and like knocked over my water bottle. Um, <laughs> it's so wound up. I'm like sweating. Uh, either they said that or they were tweeting about like totally different things like inflation. And look, it's not like everyone has to have exactly the same conversation, but the strategic silence that people do when there's a flare up around the awfulness of January 6th or something else with Trump where like. There's just no getting around it. I haven't seen it. Have you? Have you seen anybody sort of just tacitly say, well, I think this is a weird thing for Fox News to be doing. This no, they're good. all saying it's good. That's yeah. The, yeah, they're all saying it's good. Thank God. That Lord, I mean, that's what we were making fun of at the top, right? That's the, I mean, it's galling. They're all saying it's good. And you can just imagine the just sort of, you know, how hot and bothered and, and engorged they would be getting if this was Lester Holt. Right. I, I mean, you can just imagine. And so um, that is where the imbalance comes in. I, I don't know what the what the solution to that is. I and mean, these guys are fucking hacks. Also, last night I went and watched Laura and Hannity last night because they were going oh. to address the texts. And it was wild. It was all like, well, this is just because yeah. people hate Trump. They hate Trump. They hate Trump. They don't want Trump to hold elected office ever again. Fact check, true. He should not be able to hold elected office again because of these things. But then they, it was just like these screeds about Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and the Never Trumpers. Bill Kristol even got a shout out from mm -hmm. Laura Ingram. Like randomly, she starts talking about how Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are going to go, that their only future is to become MSNBC contributors, just like Bill Kristol, which he's not, but whatever. Well, um, the Jews are out to get him. <laughs> I think we knew that was – I didn't think we knew we were going to end there. Uh, I think it was more like this is all the Never Trumpers' faults uh, is where we where we found ourselves. I, the other, I just watched one clip of it. I didn't punish myself like you, but I liked how Sean was whining. Poor Sean was whining about how he can't email anymore and he just can't text. He can't, I can't be complicit in any more coups because people are checking – people are going to check in and get foyered and it's just so hard. And, and, and Laura's over there going like, Sean, bro. bro. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, so, uh, you know, Hannity um, just has a little bit a higher valence on his victim status. Did, wait, on that point, so what he did is he went on and he was like, is there no privacy anymore? Are we just to expect that there's no privacy? I believe in privacy. And then like 30 seconds later, it didn't even take him like a beat where he was like, I want to see all the Cheney family texts. Turn them over to me. I want to know what they, when they pardoned Scooter, when they were, you know, getting Donald Trump to pardon Scooter Libby, I want to see their text messages. And I was like, bro, you have spent the last, I don't know, like year, I bet you dedicated 1,000 hours to Hunter Biden's laptop and to making that stuff available. But you're going to spend your whole show whining that somebody sees your text messages. If only he had gotten Tucker's kid into Georgetown, maybe the Fox people would have let off him. Maybe he would have had a better right to privacy had he done that. Before we move off this topic, because we're running very long here, very, very long, <laughs> uh, I just want to say something briefly about Fox. So there are people on the left 
the same people for the most part who believe that Trumpism is simply the logical conclusion of conservatism, that this is where it was always heading, who, who are saying like, well, this is what Fox always was. Not true. Fox was not always a good journalistic outfit, but it was not always propaganda. And it is not a coincidence that as the Republican Party became authoritarian, mm. Fox News went from being an ideological troll job to a propaganda network because these things go hand in hand. Every, everywhere you have ever seen authoritarianism spring up, there is some form of party-controlled or state-controlled media that, that happens around it because authoritarians need propaganda outlets. That is part of the playbook. And this, again, I just don't think it's accident. I have to reject this. I mean, I, I think that there was... I guess that they did a better job faking it in the past, I guess is what I would say, that there there was a real attempt to try to fake it, you know, for credibility's sake, and that during the Trump era, they lost caring about that. I think that that was really the main That's difference. That's an important difference. Because, I mean, Glenn Beck That's era, an important difference, that though. Sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, okay. sure, I, I guess. In some ways, similar. In some ways, it could be, yeah. Anyway, I think that there, there, in some ways that they paved the way for getting here. Sure. By you know being you know effective and totally true. being Don't inauthentic that at all. and you okay. know kind of uh, pretend. Yeah. News item from the Houston Chronicle today. Can I just read you guys three paragraphs because it's amazing? A Harris County grand jury on Tuesday indicted former Houston police captain Mark Aguirre on an assault charge. The former Pistons after small he, forward. No, no, different, different Mark Aguirre. That, that's a sports ball thing, Sarah. Uh, he was accused of running a man off the road and pointing a gun to his head because he thought that he was committing voter fraud in the run-up to the 2020 election. Hold on. Here we go. Mm. Prosecutors allege Aguirre slammed into the back of an air conditioning repairman's truck at about 5.30 a.m. on October 19th of last year. He pulled a gun forced the repairman to the ground and put a knee on his back. He ordered another person to search the truck. A police officer happened upon the scene shortly after. Aguirre, who was fired by the police department in 2003, would later tell investigators that he was conducting a, quote, citizen's investigation into an alleged ballot harvesting scheme he thought was orchestrated by local Democrats. He told police that they would find hundreds of thousands of ballots in the repairman's truck. They found only air conditioning parts and tools. Aguirre said that he had been following the repairman for four days. But here's where we get to the best part of all of this. Is it just really quick? Is it possible that like that this that this person is so advanced in his voter fraud that he like took the ballots and made them into air conditioning like repair equipment? Right. And so like the like, you know, like the hoses are actually made of defrauded possible. ballots, fraudulent here's the best ballots. Part. Aguirre a licensed private investigator at the time was hired to investigate fraud claims and paid about $266,000 by the Liberty Center for God and Country, meaning that there were conservative groups out there dropping close to 300 Gs on private investigators to follow citizens around. What the fuck is this? This is... <laughs> This is crazy town. And all of this, I, I stumbled on this because I was I was investigating a uh, an incident in the villages, the uh, the the place for sex addicted retirees down in Florida. 
where they were very, very upset. They're, the Stop the Steal movement, very strong in the villages. And uh, and we, we uncovered, they uncovered some voter fraud in the villages. And they, in fact, arrested three residents of the villages for committing voter fraud. All three of them voter frauding, trying to vote for Donald Trump twice. Oops. Oopsie. <laughs> Uh, this is the time where we should shout out a Bulwark Plus fan and reporter at the Salt Lake Tribune, Brian Schott, who wrote a similar story recently. Well, there were no guns drawn in his story, but um, that was about the Utah Voter Verification Project. Do you see this? The UVVP. Mm -hmm. It's a very long-standing. Yeah, the UVVP. <laughs> Ufpa is a very, you know, it has deep roots in the community, um, kind of goes back to the days of Brigham Young. And um, they uh, have been knocking on doors, trying to match the voter rolls um, against the humans that are living in these homes to try to uncover voter fraud in the state of Utah, which Donald Trump won, by the way, as an effort, uh, which you might not have remembered that, uh, as an effort to demonstrate that if there was even fraud in Utah, on behalf of Joe Biden, that must help prove that there was also fraud in neighboring Arizona. There's a Colorado copycat effort of this, or maybe, I guess, it might not be a copycat. I don't know what the chicken and the egg was on these groups. Um, uh, that uh, there have been three percenters that are part of that effort. So, you know, you've got, you know, the guys, the OK sign, the white nationalist adjacent folks, Hawaiian shirts. Um, you know, have been going door to door at people's houses, Yeah, and which is not intimidating at all. Um, you know, having these having these guys come to your door and ask you about your voting history. So, you know, I guess the point there is seems yeah. to be a trend. Yeah, yeah, it's a trend. And there's lots of voter fraud out there. Not enough to make a difference in the election. But it turns out that uh, anecdotally, it's it's almost all Republicans. <laughs> so it's all projection as everything well, else in Trumpism. You know, it's projection. But there's did you see the AP had a massive story? Uh, where they went through absolutely every instance of voter fraud in the swing states, came out yesterday, huge research project, and they found, I believe it was 476 instances of verified voter fraud, and it was a bipartisan affair, so a bunch of them were Republicans. So that is nowhere near, nowhere near. I mean, it, it, it infinitesimal, uh, and they caught them. Like, like the system, like they, they could figure out who they had reasons. They had the ability to figure out who they were. And so, uh, and some of them were like inadvertent, whatever. Some people are going to jail for there's a lot of people trying to vote twice. Uh, but that's it. Under 500 cases in a election where, uh, let's see, 71 million plus 78. 81, what 74. Was it? Uh, 80, 150, 81, 74. 150 oh, somebody, I don't know what you add Just those up to. Just call 150. Great. 150 million. That's great. So, uh, incidentally, actually, so, that's extraordinary. So here's where extraordinary. I'm extraordinary. Yeah. Have I ever told you the story? Just really quick on the side. Um, have I ever told you a story about my friend's mother and the voting fraud? You did, but you can tell it. This is we have Charlie's audience today, so they don't know. <laughs> and she uh, she was regaling her friends about the problem. Uh, th there was a discussion among the friend group about about the problems of voter fraud and their concerns about how the Democrats had been defrauding elections. That's why Republicans were losing. And that, you know, they were all getting hot and bothered by that. There was someone else wasn't there. It was just sort of sitting quietly. And then, you know, they moved on to other topics, kids' graduations, et cetera. And, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, they come back. They're talking about their kids. And, and one, of the, one of the moms who was complaining about voter fraud said that her uh, youngest son uh, was off at college and received a mail-in ballot. 
which she filled out on his behalf in supporting Donald J. Trump, despite the fact that the her son opposed Donald J. Trump, forged hmm. a signature, sent it in. I'm sorry, what's the point of the story, Tim? She, uh, she told that story as she, only, she told that story to kind of regale the same, fraud the same the crowd that have been complaining about joting fraud. Everyone, everyone laughed, and um, you know, there was like a you know the normal in the crowd was like, "Well, wasn't didn't you didn't you just so here, in the same way? I mean, and this this is a, a perfect parallel in the same way that having standards for for the mainstream media, but no standards for the right." is an advantage for the right. Having a bunch of people who are so invested in this that they're willing to do voter fraud, who are also convinced that there is voter fraud, and then another section, you know, the other 51% of the country just being like, eh, I just want to live my life. That's helpful to the guys who are in on the voter fraud stuff. Like, this is this is why going into 2022, the most energized subgroup of voters are the people who believe that Donald J. Trump was the rightfully and duly elected president in 2020. This is a problem. No? Well, yeah, this is my, the Not My Party this week, um, it comes out tomorrow, is, is, is sort of about the, is about the MAGAverse. And, you know, this is, this is, an, uh, you know, one of the... I, Unintended consequences. You'd say I, I think that there's some good arguments for deplatforming from the big platforms, but one of the unintended consequences of that is is there is now just this growing and burgeoning, you know, basically dark web of conversations where all this stuff takes place, and you know where there really is no accountability, where there's a lot of calls to violence, bids to combat, and as Rudy would uh, argued on the sixth and. Um, uh, you know, to your point, the tenor of those of those conversations is is so inflaming, and 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 so not only is that going to help you know the the folks in 2020 who are, are willing to pander to to these people's delusions, but but also on the danger side. I mean, I, you know, there's a direct line between that and you know the guy. Well, I guess the 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 guy in Houston doing the citizens arrest. There's a direct line between the the billionaire donor who who was paying who was funding that. But in a lot of these other cases, there's a direct line between like the information ecosystem these people are living in, and you know these sort of deranged actions that follow for that. Because if you have you know, particularly with people with tenuous mental health, I, you know, if you keep being told that that the country is being stolen from you, uh, why why wouldn't somebody act on that? And it's not just tenuous mental health. I mean, why did people storm the Capitol? Because they genuinely believed what these guys were saying about the election being stolen, and they viewed themselves as patriots, right, as doing a necessary job. And I think this is the real the thing that I find so vile about the posture of Fox News is that it is meant to be a bit in a lot of ways. They are winking at people. There is a, it's a joke. The producer's there, right? They know what they're doing, but they think, eh, screw them if they can't take a joke. But there is a level of their, and, and there is, there's a lot of people who are in on the joke. And it's just the Fox News cinematic universe trolling the libs and it's fun and games. But there is another layer of people who will take you seriously when you say that the election was stolen, who will view it as their duty to go do something about it. 
And then there's an even smaller slice of people who are do have tenuous mental health or who are looking to get into trouble and just need an excuse. And this is what gives it to them. And that's what fuels violence. It's the reason that a bunch of Republican politicians who've tried to stand up to Trump have had to walk off the field because they're afraid for their families or a bunch of Republican politicians who know that what Trump did was wrong but couldn't say it, wouldn't do it out loud because they were afraid for their families because they know there's a section of these people who are taking it all too seriously. All right, Tim, where did you want to go for uh, part three here? Um, I have a topic. I want to close this out with, uh, with, with Christmas and the supply chain problems and Christmas being canceled. But I, I want to do just a really quick brief. There's a little news item this morning. I think it's worth getting your guys' live reacts to. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, but Ron DeSantis is holding Oh, I heard about this. Go ahead. Um, it's called yes. the, woke, yeah. the Woke Act. Have you heard about this, Sarah? No, the, I have uh, not the, heard the about The Woke this. Act is what being does, introduced today. What does W-O-K-E today. stand for? Is it an acronym? <laughs> I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't look. <laughs> There's some great signage, though. They spent enough, they spent enough time to put the signs, the sign for the, the placard for the podium together. Good advance work. The, or, uh, maybe it was the No Woke Act, actually. actually the listeners can fact check me. The, the premise of the Woke Act is that uh, is, it's modeled off of, you know, the, the great conservative legislation of our time, the abortion bounty bill in Texas. And now Florida is expanding on the Dan Patrick, Greg Abbott brilliance, uh, brilliant kind of legal construct by creating a system that allows parents and maybe just members of the community to sue schools and teachers and administrators if they teach mm. critical race theory in their schools uh, again in, in violation of state law you know the state law that's going to ban critical race theory in Florida uh, so huge win for the ambulance chasers and the trial lawyers who are now the the top you know class in the working man's GOP got to make sure those guys can make make as many bucks as possible Bad news for administrators who are now potentially at threat of being sued if they exercise their free speech and discuss, I don't know, Toni Morrison's sexualized book or something. Well, or I'm sure there like won't that. be anybody like that Houston former cop in Florida who's out, uh, you know, creating frivolous lawsuits that have nothing to do with even if you don't actually talk about Toni Morrison. So we're our, our Barry Citizens Weiss. Why, why do why do just lawsuits? Are Barry Weiss and Andrew Sullivan on the case here, or are they still worried about how terrible uh, how terrible critical race theory is and there you know, have been the, how awful it is to work the New York Times op ed page? I try to keep tabs on that crowd, I, and I have seen. I think I've seen Barry. I know for a fact Camille Foster, who's been on this podcast before, who is is sort of in that crowd, has been very critical of the anti critical race theory, the speech. Um, restricting laws. So there are at least a handful of them over there. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll monitor. Sarah, are you for, are you for the for the woke act? This seems like something that you're would be up your alley. Yeah, right up my alley. You know what's <laughs> what's interesting is I remember but part of what was supposed to be, I, I, and I don't know why I do this, but I I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time thinking like remembering just twenty years ago when I became a conservative and what we were taught and the values that. That we had, and one of them was the where things like you know it was the libs who were always like there ought to be a law, and that the conservatives were like no there shouldn't be because people can exercise their judgment and and conservatives have really gotten in the game of deciding that they should pass laws to police things that they find uh, objectionable just like just like culturally objectionable, and it couldn't be further from 
everything we learned about what it meant to be a conservative. Like, this is why when people are like, when people say there's this is the natural extension of conservatism, I'm always like, that is not. It is like the total opposite of everything that drew me to this in the first place. It's like a funhouse mirror deal. It's not some logical extension. I sat in a banquet room, and then we're going to move to our final topic. I sat in a banquet room in 2004. Everyone was wearing frumpy suits. Uh, this The keynote speaker was my boss at the time, Bill Lee, who was running for governor of Delaware. It was my first job out of college. I was his driver. And I sat in this room of, of Republican Chamber of Commerce types. And the entire speech he gave it was about tort reform and frivolous lawsuits and how we've kind of take it stuff. to the left. Love it. And, you know, how there's, you know, just just bollocksing up the court system and, you know, it's it's hurting the free enterprise. It's hurting people's ability to, you know, speak and act, you know, within the freedoms of this country. And now... Like the the party that you know the these nerds that were giving a standing ovation, a not quite mag Trump level, but a raucous, you know, lunch luncheon style kind of golf clap level ovation to tort reform are now you completely know, on board with with vigilante lawsuits against against people who want to teach about slavery or you know get abortions. Tim, before you close us out with happy talk about how great everything is. <laughs> I do want to say that for all of our lives, it basically didn't matter what state you lived in. Some states had higher taxes than other states. That was about the biggest difference, right? Otherwise, like, you know, states to states to state. We are rapidly approaching a moment where because Republicans have decided they want to pursue the authoritarian project even down to the state level, where your experience of day-to-day -day life may wind up being quite different depending on whether or not you live in a red state or a blue state. And where if you hold certain beliefs and you live in like in Tennessee, you just got to get the fuck up and move to Massachusetts or something. I, I mean, I just, this is, this is one where I do think I'm not going to both sides, uh, everything about it, but think this is, this is where you get into a vortex of backlashes, right? Like New York and California set insane precedents on all kinds of things. And so then red states decide they too must set insane precedents in complete opposite directions. And I do think it pushes us further and further apart to the point where culturally, you know, you, you are, you're in completely different worlds. I mean, people say this all the time, like they go down to Florida and they're just like, pandemic doesn't exist there. It's wild. But I, I'm not going to say that this is all red state problem. Okay, well, we can fight that out. I, I want to get to Christmas. <laughs> I was promised that Christmas was going to be canceled this year. The supply chain problems were Joe so Biden's great. Joe Biden's supply chain uh, problems. Yeah, Joe Biden's created. supply chain problems were so great his communism. that we were not going to be able to order presents. Yeah, the communism had come to America. We were not going to be able to order presents. You know, little Johnny... And um, you know, little Sally, we're not going to mm. get the Sally. We're not going to get mm. the Barbie mm. Playhouse mm. that they were going to share this year because you know the uh, the parts that were coming from China were going to be stuck out at sea. And I just I've noticed something. Uh, you know, the, the conversation about Christmas being canceled has sort of gone away and been replaced with conversation about the great MAGA Christmas tree that was burned to the ground in New York, but. Christmas kind of seems fine to me. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess um, I, I, I want to acknowledge that I think there remain very serious economic issues for for President Biden, particularly looking into the midterms. I was at the grocery store yesterday the, or the other day. Things did not seem that normal to me at the grocery store as far as prices were concerned. So I think that there are very real inflationary issues that 
hopefully get resolved next year, and this should be top of mind. But at the same time, it also, I think, merits mentioning when there is a, a lot of anger driven up about the coming apocalypse and, you know, all these big problems that are coming because of socialism and when that turns out to be just not the case at all. And when it comes to Christmas, I did all of my shopping on Monday from my bed. And it seems to me like the capitalist system here in America is working pretty damn great. Etsy's firing. Oh, um, Tyler doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can say that he'll be receiving some jewelry from some Etsy uh, Etsy artisans and you know Amazon, the great big corporations seem to be working. The small corporations seem to be working, and I didn't have to do a damn thing. I just you know my little pointer fingers a little bit tired. Sarah, this is your chance to take a victory lap for capitalism. Don't let it go by. Uh, okay, uh, it's great <laughs> stipulated. But the thing I actually really want to take uh, just a quick run at is I have seen some of uh, folks on the left. Doing this thing, actually, Charlie had a great item about Mark Elias in his newsletter recently about how, and I've seen this happening yeah. where it's like anytime. I'm, I'm just really excited about how you're going to get from Mark Elias back to Christmas being canceled. Oh, I'm not even so. trying to get back to Christmas. This was a topic I wanted to hit. We skipped it, and now I'm going to hit it. <laughs> uh, which is so. So this, where every time Adam Kinzinger or Liz Cheney, you know, does something great and people praise them online. Mark Elias feels the need to come in and say that they did not vote for whatever for the voting rights bill. And I see this all across the left about Liz Cheney is not a hero. And, you know, why are we all praising Liz Cheney? I I mean, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but I'm pretty sure she's single-handedly saving democracy right now. Like, there has not been a solid attempt to really get Trump. Like, we've gone through two impeachments and they've been lame and ineffective. And Liz Cheney is just saying, screw it all. And she's going, she's being diligent. She's being an adult. She's being clear. She is creating new news around January 6th when people were done with it. And I'm just, I am here for what Liz Cheney is doing. And I think that people who get caught up in the idea that they do not vote for whatever preferred progressive policy, and I'm for the voting rights bill. I'm for the new mansion compromise. But the fact that they're not, for whatever technical reason they have, uh, does not mean they're not doing the heavy lifting for democracy right now. And new from the bulwark, uh, coming out just in time for this Christmas, is uh, we have the Liz Cheney figurines uh, that we're going to be offering that have a uh, you know, little bulwark logo on the back of her pantsuit. Uh, they'll be going for $59.99. You get a free bulwark plus subscription when you buy one. And if you, if you order today, thanks to the supply chain issues getting resolved, you'll be able to send them anywhere in the contiguous 48. I don't think it'll make it to Alaska in time. Ooh, you're the worst. Uh, but here's how I'm going to get back to Christmas, which is, uh, first of all, if you, like me, love people like Liz Cheney who are putting country <laughs> over party, you should tell all your friends to subscribe to The Bulwark. You should give them a gift of The Bulwark for Christmas. You can give them a gift subscription. Uh, and I think that that is also a good way to help democracy and capitalism. So I've tied it all together. I agree with you. Liz Cheney's been great. I do want to know how your Christmas shopping has been going though. I want, I would like, I wanted to hear whether, may, I thought maybe this is just an anecdote. Maybe I was an outlier and things have, and things are, are problematic on the home front and that Karen's not going to get, you know, whatever sort of fingerless <laughs> gloves or, you know, you know, wood shopping materials you were planning on getting her this year. Uh, your con your gay man conception. LL <laughs> Bean is bringing is it home like at the Longwell household. Don't worry. 
It's true. We are single-handedly keeping L.L. Bean in business over here. (laughs) Are things going to be able to get from the Northeast all the way down to Bethesda? You know, uh, I hope there's not supply chain issues because I do – I am starting to – You've not ordered Christmas I'm starting to note that it's getting perilously close to Christmas and that I may have a thing or two. Mm. I still need to procure for all of the people in my life. Stocks (laughs) were shelved at the Home Depot. I was there yesterday. I think that you'll be just fine if you want to get her a shovel (laughs) or (laughs) – Oh, no. I don't know. You know what? And you know what is? I took a pass on saying anything to you when you suggested you got your husband jewelry. (laughs) I didn't even say anything. I didn't even say anything. Okay. Well, I'm just saying the Etsy's Etsy folks have been pretty responsive. If you want to get on after this, I mean, is there something gayer than saying you ordered your husband jewelry on Etsy? (laughs) See, I'm sure we could come up with something gayer, but that's pretty. It's towards the top of the list. Well, it's not just a Subaru joke. Listen, while we're doing this, I would (laughs) like to to. Tim, you asked on Twitter last night what you could get for your godson because you you proposed yeah. a double Papa shot setup and your mother nixed it. And I yes. oh his mother nixed it. No, okay. my his mother nixed it. So his mother nixed it. Yeah, I I wanted to send. I was just gonna. I was like, right as I was about to click send asked. on Amazon, I was like, you know. I, I don't know where I could fit a double Papa shot in my house, and I wouldn't really love it if it just showed here's, up on my front, what you do. front stoop. So just send without asking now. Send a drum set, and that will teach her to never say no to your first idea in the future. But but I then <laughs> I then slacked you the ultimate kid. the ultimate answer to this, which is an arcade one up NBA Jam four player console, and your response was I had already purchased. <laughs> We were that in line. But when Papa Shot went down, I went straight for the Arcade One NBA Jam. So my godson uh, in Baton Rouge will be receiving that instead. And um, he'll just get to learn about all the 90s greats like Stacey Ogman and Roni Cycli and Tim Hardaway's Killer Crossover Cedric and John Mullins. He's heating up. Oh, man. Sarah, this is, uh, you know, what's funny is that of the three of us, only one of us owns an arcade cabinet style video game. It's me. And it's you. It's true. So don't go turning your nose up at like, oh, this ridiculous conversation about home arcade games. Uh, well, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I was very awesome in my 20s. And I do have one of those Pac-Man tables that you had at the pizzeria that two people can sit mm-hmm. next to uh, or just sit on either side of. And uh, my boys are just figuring it out. Do you set the dip switches to the easiest level so that the ghosts are, like, super easy to confuse and your boys can feel like they're champion players? I know. I have no idea what you're – I didn't know you could do that. Yes. Yes. They're they're called dip switches. If you open up the console, you will find that there are ways to set it to easier or harder. You should come over, actually, if you can just take the console off because it's really loud. And I would like somebody to come turn the volume down. (laughs) We we can arrange that. (laughs) Okay. We can arrange that. All right. Very long show again, guys. Congratulations. Totally You've got your length. wish. It's totally normal length of show. We do it every every week. Utah. Oh, we've got we've got the Bulwark Festivus tomorrow. You should promote that, JVL. Yes. Yes. Uh, you guys, if you're a Bulwark Plus member, you should come pop on the live stream tomorrow. Our end of the year Festivus Bulwark extravaganza on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Uh, maybe the best thing we do in all of our various forms of content all year long. Only for Bulwark Plus members. There will be a feats of strength. There may be. There will definitely, and Charlie. There will definitely be airing of grievances. That's the one thing I can promise. 
Uh, guys, if you are a regular listener of Charlie Sykes, thank you for hanging out with us. And uh, hope you go and join Bulwark Plus and come hang out with us at the next level next week. I'll be back tomorrow. Bye, guys. Bye. Peace. Peace.